Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. Whenever I was in Texas, I got invited by a buddy of mine uh, to go and help gather. He had a new ranch, and I mean, I'd been out there before, just kind of like to the headquarters, but never horseback on the ranch. And he needed to gather and sort and do some calling and stuff like that. So uh, it was it was Johnny and his dad, and then my neighbor Lee, me, and then a guy named Paul Bruce and a guy named Shane McNew. And so we went out there, and Johnny is the ranch owner, so he gathered all of us together in a group, and he's like, "Okay, we're going to go over here to this pasture. We're going to line up along this fence, and we're just going to push everything, you know, east or however wherever it was." We're going to push everything this way, and there will be one little swing in there, but um, just pay attention, and, you know, when this guy starts heading this way, y'all head this way. So, cool. Cowboys, we know how to get it done. So, uh, he said, I'll take this side because I'll control the swing, and then Lee will be on the outside of me. Dad will be on the outside of Lee, and then, Kevin, you just, you and Paul and Shane, take the rest of it. Got it, boss. We'll do it. So, we struck a long trot down, you know, out as a at his group and then Johnny dropped off and then Lee dropped off and then Johnny's dad dropped off and we kept going and uh it, but before we got started uh all three of us uh needed to get off and check the soil's moisture and so we did that and um we're all on you know the horses are all lined up like this and we're all on each side of the horse um and all of a sudden my horse had a bay horse named Honoree and Honoree starts like swishing his tail like he's mad, you know, not just, I mean, swishing it. And then he starts stomping and starts like kicking. And I'm like, what in the world? And I looked and there's like four or five bees on him. And then I looked on the other two horses and here's all these bees. And now you can hear them. Um, it is possible to really mount up fast, whether you're done or not, when bees are coming. Because I mean, like we got killer bees down there and you don't know if they're killer bees. And uh, we rode hellbent for leather to our spots to get away from these bees. And I think my horse was stung four to six times. I mean, like I could see the knots and everything. And luckily, none of us were stung, but uh, we outran the, the bees. And so we, we lined up and we start gathering, right? And we know there's, there's going to be a swing in here somewhere. And if you really don't know what I'm talking about, imagine uh, water on the floor and you've got a squeegee, Okay. That's kind of what it's like gathering cattle. You can do it this way, but then you might have to turn, and it's literally like a swing. This one stays put, and, you know, the squeegee comes around like this. So we knew there was going to be a swing in there, and we haven't been riding, I mean, a quarter of a mile. And, I mean, this pasture, I'm not talking about these, you know, these 400-acre pastures that we have around here. This was nine sections, nine square miles of brush and bees and snakes. And so I... I'm right here, and I know Johnny's dad is on this side of me, so I'm going to be watching him because when he starts going another direction, then I've got to, I know it's time to make the swing. We hadn't gone no time at all, and all of a sudden, I see Johnny's dad coming across here. I was like, I didn't know the swing was going to happen right now, but okay, whatever. So I adjust my course, and Paul Bruce is on this side of me. He adjusts his course, and and. Like, he's really, I mean, we're not talking about a swing. He took a 90-degree turn. I'm like, we are so far out of, you know, 
where we're supposed to be. So we're all turning. We're all riding this way now because Johnny's dad. And we reach the fence. And finally, Johnny's dad comes over to us. He goes, what are y'all doing? Like, we were watching you. He goes, why? I said, because I'm flanking you. He goes, oh, I'm just riding around looking for cows. Y'all, y'all keep going. It's like, so here, here's me and Shane and Paul. You know, we, we got to lope all the way back over here because now there's a hole probably three miles wide uh, in this gathering. You know, one person can make a world of difference for better or worse, for better or worse. And everyone has a part to play individually and within the group. When we do our individual part right, the people immediately around you are better able to do their parts. And when you and the people around do their parts, the whole group is able to accomplish anything. In Ephesians chapter 4, 16, I thought about gathering cattle whenever I read this. Because Paul says he, it's Jesus, Jesus makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy, growing, and full of love. Okay? Think about that. Because even on a gathering, you've got your own spot to go. And even with the people flanking you, they're depending upon your work, your individual work, so that, you know, the people around you can do that. And even the people around you belong to the bigger group that is supposed to be gathering all the cows. I entitled this message, we can do this. We can do this. And one of the questions or one of the statements that I hear all the time is, I just don't know what God wants me to do. I just don't know what God wants me to do. So I thought I would answer that today. Not necessarily like you're going to be doing, you know, this specific job or this specific job, but can we get a general direction that all of us can get going in? See, in the body of Christ, you have some individual responsibilities. Individual responsibilities that I, I can't help you with. That, you know, your, your husband or your wife can't do for you. That there, there's no one else to blame. There's, there's no excuses. We all have an, an individual responsibility within the body of Christ to do a few things. Okay? And we'll talk about four of those. The very first one is obedience. I can't, I can't obey God for you, right? I, I can't do that for you. And, and your, your neighbor, your flanker can't do that for you. We all have a re individual responsibility to be obedient to Christ. You know, um, I was praying one time, and I had just got through reading the passage at the end of John where uh, Jesus asked Peter, he said, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I do. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, why do you keep asking? You know my heart, you know, that, that's what Peter said. And so I was thinking about that, and I thought, I wonder what I would say if Jesus asked me, Kevin, do you love me? And I thought I'd say, yes, Lord. And he said, Kevin, but, but do you love me? Yes, Lord. No, Kevin, seriously. Do you love me? I'm like, yes, Lord, I do. And then I feel like the Holy Spirit asked me a question. He said, if you love me, why don't you do what I tell you to do? That's tough. That's tough. I mean, if, we, if we, I would hope that everybody here loves God, why else would we be here? But if we love God, why aren't we obeying him? Why aren't we doing the things that, that he tells us to do? And I'm not talking about those, you know, where you're trying to guess what God's intention is. I, I'm talking about just the, 
the uh, plain stuff that comes out of the Bible of loving others and loving your enemies and, you know, if somebody offends you, go to that person. And, I mean, I'm talking about just the, the uh, black and white things. Why don't we do that? Because individually within the body of Christ, I mean, we have a responsibility to obey. We have a responsibility to obey. Now, now I, I think that that consists of three things, obedience, okay? First, it's discipline, okay? Nobody can do it for you. You're going to have to make yourself do it. Because I think that most of the time, think about this, when you're like sh- unsure of what to do, I think most of the time we do know what we, sh- we should be doing. M- maybe not like, do I move to this house or this house? But we know what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to have faith. We're supposed to do this. We're supposed to do that. But it takes discipline to do what God says to do. That's part of obedience. There's also integrity. Integrity. You know, I'm reading a book by Kyle Eidelman called Grace. And I'm trying to make this as short as I can. He, in the opening chapter, he talks about uh, a husband and wife, and the wife is a Christian, and the husband's just, you know, eh, he's not quite sure about it. And the reason he's not quite sure about it is because, you know, when you look at, at everything God tells us to do, man, the, the standard is set way high. And it was of his opinion that why should you follow God when he sets the standard so high you can never reach them? And while they're sitting there talking to their pastor, Kyle, Kyle's going to tell them about original sin and this and that and this and that and this and that. And his wife turns to him and says, because he said, I think, you know, God set his standards too high. And she goes, you say that God set his standards too high. She goes, but shouldn't you go to your grandson's soccer game like you said you would? Do you think it's right for you to drink too much and yell at me? And she lists off about five or six things that you know this guy has done because, I mean, he's just, you know, with each question, his head goes down. And she goes, so you want to get mad at God for setting the standard too high, but you can't even reach your own standards. You can't even reach your own standards. That's where integrity comes in. And, And my question is, are you reaching your own standards? You know what you're supposed to do. Are you doing it? It's where obedience comes in of having the discipline to do it, of having the integrity to do it, that nobody's going to be watching, nobody's going to pat you on the back, you're not going to get a sticker or a cookie for doing the right thing. That's integrity. But I think the final part of obedience, or a final part of obedience, is trust. Because think about it. If you don't trust that what God says is true, then why would we do it? Because God says to do this way, do it this way, and this will be the result. And if we don't trust that Jesus is telling us the truth, then we're never going to do those things. So we must learn to be obedient. That is our individual response. That is a individual responsibility of ours within the body of Christ. I think another individual responsibility is to have faith, is to have faith. And I think that faith is active. I think it's active. And probably my personal favorite definition of faith that I came up with, and I'm not saying it's all-encompassing, but it really helps me, and I hope it'll help you too. That faith is a heart that is addicted to hope. Faith is a heart that is addicted to hope. I can't have faith for you. I can't obey for you. Nobody can. These are our individual responsibilities within the body of Christ. You know, um, another individual responsibility is personal prayer. Is personal prayer. Jesus says to go in your, uh, go in your closet and shut the door where it's just you and God, man, and y'all have that, that come to Jesus meeting, right? But when I talk about individual personal prayer, 
I'm talking about a conversation, not a ceremony, okay? You do not have to learn King James to have an effective personal prayer life. God, I thank thee, Heavenly Father, that thine will is being done, if. You don't have to talk like that. You can talk to God anytime, just a conversation, like I did last night. Me and Mitch and Don, we, had a, a, we went over to some friend's house last night, and on the way back, I went through Elizabeth, and I got behind this little white SUV at 9.30 last night, and I kid you not, they drove 35 miles an hour between Elizabeth and Kiowa, and I conversated with God the whole time. God, please let me be an example to my boys that are in this pickup right now because I've got a big grill guard and I could make them go faster. I mean, you know, we need a personal prayer life. You know, I don't want anybody to get the idea that you can't ask me or Mitch or any of our people for prayer, okay? You can. But sometimes I wonder, do we just ask people for prayer so that somebody else will be praying for the situation? Or are you asking them to join you in prayer? Because here's the thing. I think it's good when we come together and pray for something as a group. But nobody's prayers are more powerful than your own. Nobody's prayers are more powerful than your own. I mean, it's not a given that, you know, if you say a prayer or I say a prayer, that that prayer is going to get done because I'm a preacher. It doesn't work like that. Nobody's prayers are more powerful than your own. Individually, within the body of Christ, we need to have a personal prayer life, an active prayer life of conversations with God. And the last thing I'll talk about individually is probably most people's, not everybody, I know, not everybody, but most people's weakest part individually, I think. Because you might say, look, man, I'm trying to obey. Nobody gets it right all the time. And you're right. We don't. But I do have faith and I do pray a lot. That's good. But individually, we have a responsibility to study, to study. I think that studying is the roping dummy of Christianity. Because, I mean, I, I've roped my entire life, not well, but when I really, really, really wanted to improve my roping and win a buckle, um, I can't tell you how many loops over how many, probably hundreds of hours I threw a rope at a dummy. I mean, listen, coming and listening to me is, is, is great, man, and I hope you get something out of it that you can take home. But man, if you were to go and study on your own instead of just what I say, it would be amazing. It would be amazing. You know, people ask me all the time, they say, well, did you go to seminary? No. Well, then how did you learn all this stuff? Well, you know, I mean, I read the Bible. I read the Bible. And a lot of people say, well, I don't understand the Bible. And if you've been here any length of time, you've heard me say this. Well, if you don't understand the Bible, just read it until you do understand something and then do that or study that or meditate on it or, you know, just... Focus on that one thing all week long. Yeah, I mean, none of us understand the whole thing, but we can read until we do understand something. And I think men have a pro harder time with this than women. I, I think it's just our nature that we don't sit still very well and blah, blah, blah. But guys, let me tell you something. You can't treat Christianity like you treat that Ikea shelving unit that your wife bought that you think you can just look at the picture and get it all put together just right. You can't look at a picture of Jesus and go, I've got this. This is easy. I don't need to read the directions. No, we do. This is one area of our lives that we do need some instruction. Read the Bible. Read some books. Listen to some podcasts. You know, listen to 94.7 on, 
on the radio, 94.3, whichever one it is. Whichever one's not the rock station. And then after the sermon, switch it to the rock station. Um, read books. You know, I heard one time that if you read 100 books on a specific subject, that that is the equivalent of a PhD. What's stopping you? What's stopping you from getting to know, to growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Read books. I mean, some of my favorite authors are Andy Stanley, Kyle Eidelman, Chip Ingram, Mark Batterson, um, Max Lucado, C.S. Lewis, A.W. Tozer. You know, those are just a few. And finally, on studying, apply what you know. I mean, it does no good to read something that Jesus is telling us to do and to study it and not do it. Apply what you've learned. So that's the end of the individual. I mean, even within the body of Christ, we have some individual responsibilities. These are things that nobody can do for you. Nobody can do them for you. You have to obey. You have to have faith. I can't have faith for you. You know, I, I can pray with you, but I can't say your prayers for you. Okay? It doesn't work like that. And, I, and I, can't, I can give you information, but I can't study for you. These are things that y'all are going to have to do on your own. But after individually, you know, th then you have a responsibility to the, your flankers, to the guys on your left and right as we're in this gathering. And I think that those responsibilities when you're with a small group, when you're gathering and you got somebody on your left that's dependent on you and somebody on your right that's dependent on you and you're dependent upon them, I think our uh, responsibility is to pray with each other to pray with each other. If you've ever been out and gathered with us, we always start off with prayer. Always start off with prayer. Didn't Jesus say, where two or more are gathered, there I am also? When we're with other people, we need to pray. And I think that when we're with a small group, one or two others, I think we need to encourage. I think we need to encourage. You know, here's an observation. When a female posts a picture of herself on Facebook there will be 49,000 other females that tell her how beautiful she is. You are so gorgeous. You are so beautiful. Blah, blah, blah. They're great at encouraging. A guy posts a selfie and they're like, you're stupid. You're an idiot. You know, I don't know what it is. But we can encourage people, right? Well, it's, listen, it takes nothing away from you to encourage somebody else. It, it actually it adds to you. No one ever lost a part of themselves encouraging someone else. We need to pray together. We need to encourage each other. And we need to love each other. Golden rule. Do to others what you want done to you. And don't make the mistake that I've made in the past because I've been known to turn that around because it says I should do to Mitch what I would want Mitch to do to me, right? But I've turned that around before and said, well, I'm mad at Mitch because he's done something to me that I wouldn't have done to him. That's not what the golden rule says. It doesn't have anything to do about what other people are doing to you. It's how you are treating other people. It's a one-way statement. You need to learn to love. Seriously. I mean, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Man, that's grandma advice right there. It will stand the test of time. That's how you know it's the truth. When God says it, and it still applies today like it did 2,000 years ago. And finally, when we're part of a little group, when you got your flankers on your left and right, we need to learn to serve. Serve others. In Matthew 20, 28, Jesus says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is saying, man, I, I, I didn't come down here so that everybody would bow down to me and do whatever I wanted. I came down here to show people what it's like to love others. And we're encouraged. <laughs> we're commanded to become Christ-like, to do what Jesus did, to, you know, to pray, to encourage others, to love them, and to serve. Whenever we were 
all lined up, not lined up, but, you know, when we first got horseback and Johnny called us all over to tell us kind of what we were going to be doing. And that, that's whenever you are part of a group, but it's more passive, okay? It's more passive. Um, it's kind of what we're doing right now, or y'all are doing right now, okay? I mean, I know some of you are following along. Some of you are taking notes and stuff like that. But, but it's more, y'all are part of a crew right now, but it's passive. I'm giving y'all what we're going to do, right? Just like Johnny did to us that day. And part of our responsibility when we're part of a crew and it's, it's passive is that we receive instruction, receive instruction. Another thing that we do when we're part of a whole group like this is pray. I mean, like when, when me and Mitch were up here, I peeked, okay? I peeked, and when Mitch was praying, I saw most of you had your heads bowed and your eyes closed. You, you were praying, even though you weren't talking, you were praying along with Mitch. And that's important as part of a group. Another responsibility we have as part of the whole crew is to listen, is to listen. You know what this world would be? so much better if we listened with the intent to understand instead of listening, waiting on a spot for us to talk. So listen to others is to listen to the instructions that you're being given. Because, you know, in Ephesians chapter 4, up in, I think it's around verse 12, it says that my job, my job is to equip y'all for good works. That's my job is to train y'all so that y'all can go out and live according to Jesus Christ. That's my job. Y'all's job is to receive that instruction. And finally, worship. We're worshiping right now. And you know, one of my pet peeves, and it, it's okay. I'm not, I'm not criticizing anybody. I, I just make my living with words, and I think that words are important. And one of the things that I, I'm getting better at but is when people say, oh, you know, it, it was pretty cool, but I don't understand why y'all don't have worship. What? What do you mean we don't have worship? We were worshiping the whole time we were there. That was why we were there was to worship God. And they're like, but you didn't have music. Oh, oh, see, I mean, yes, music can be a form of worship, but worship isn't only music. It's what we're doing here. I mean, look around. Y'all don't know everybody here, but each and every person here today is hopefully here for the same reason, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and to be part of something bigger than ourselves, which is the body of Christ. But then you have part of the whole crew that's active, okay? An active part. Some of our responsibilities as part of a whole group includes uh, ob observing the sacraments. Now, I know that that's kind of big words. But the two sacraments that Jesus told us to hold on to and do was the Lord's Supper. Now, we don't do it every single week. I understand that. We do it a couple of times a year. But we, ob we observe the Lord's Supper and baptism. Those are the two sacraments that we do. That's how we take part in a group setting. Another active part when we're all together like this is that we pool our resources. We pool our resources. And if you go back to Acts chapter 2, I believe it is, it talks about the first church where they dedicated themselves to the apostles' teaching and they met together so that they could pray and they shared with each other everything they had so that nobody went without. That was the very first church. And I think that somehow, some way, we've kind of got away from that. But, you know, I spent about an hour and 10 minutes on the phone with Memo and... Uh, Memo is the one that has the uh, orphanage in Chihuahua, Mexico. And he called me, and they're going to be trying to come up here, I believe he said in March, and wondering if I was going to be around. And I said, yeah. And then Memo kind of got a little bit emotional, a little bit emotional. And he said, Kevin, I can't tell you. He said, without Save the Cowboy, 
without, you know, he said, this would have gone belly up three years ago. He said, save the cowboy has single-handedly got us through the last three years. See, every dime that y'all give to save the cowboy through your pooling of resources, through your donations, a tenth of it goes down to feed 21 orphan kids in Mexico. It's amazing what can be done when we all work together to do something special that we would have never been able to do to that level on our own. And finally, this is the last one. When we're part of the whole crew and we're being active, I think it's using our gifts for the benefit of others. What's your gift? Do you know? Do you know what your gift is? I think that oftentimes that people get a couple of things confused. Number one is your gift isn't necessarily what you like, okay? Don't, don't confuse passion with gift, okay? My gift is preaching, okay? That is my gift. I'm not very good at very much else, but I'm all right at preaching. And you know, every single week, I get letters and emails and messages from all across the country and even from other countries. And they usually say something like this, and I'm not saying this to pat myself on the back. I'm making a point. They always say, man, I loved your sermon today and I love how you preach because you speak my language and I can finally understand it. And you know, if I was honest, <laughs> I usually just laugh at that. And not in a bad way, not in a bad way. I very much appreciate the sentiment, but I don't have to try to do that because I don't know any other way to do it. I mean, I'm not, I'm not getting up here and trying to speak y'all's language. It's the only language I know. And I think that you can always spot a gift what is somebody always saying thank you to you for that you really don't think is that big of a deal? Because I think that a lot of times we want our gifts to be these big things that we put a lot of effort into that people will recognize and see our progress. And, and I don't think that that's really what gifts are. And the other thing is, even if you know what your gift is, I think a lot of people don't understand that your gift was given to you not to benefit you, to, but to benefit others. 